0: Very well, we're in Revelation chapter 20 again this morning. Revelation and chapter 20. We are um, going to commence this morning a consideration, a study of God's dealings with Satan, God's program for Satan. The whole point in the study is to show very, very clearly that Satan has never been out of God's control. Satan has only ever operated within the boundaries of God's restraining hand and only within the limits of his permissive will. God has always had Satan in his hand. And he has a program by which Satan becomes more and more restrained and constrained until we reach the end in Revelation chapter 20 where we hear the story of, God, of Satan's final doom. Now, it's a big subject really because in so doing, we will consider who Satan is. Number one, we'll consider the work that he does And we will trace his history and God's dealings with Satan right from Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden before the fall and at the fall and after the fall, right? How God has dealt with Satan and restrained him and constrained him right up until the Lord Jesus Christ comes into the world. And then God's dealings with Satan, as it were, I was they go up, the program is wrapped up, as it were, as it's, it's ramped up, I should say, where God moves into Satan's territory and has in mind to deal with him directly on his own ground. right? And you find the restraining hand and power of God is brought to bear completely upon Satan in the life of the Lord, the birth of the Lord Jesus, the life of the Lord Jesus, the death of the Lord Jesus, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, the ascension of the Lord Jesus, and then from that point forward, which is really the period of time being covered by the book of Revelation, from that point forward until the final coming again, God is dealing with Satan and finally brings about his complete and final doom. Now, we're introduced to the Dealings in Revelation chapter 20. Now you think of what a comfort that would have been to the early church to realize afresh that even Satan was in God's restraining hand and God was on the throne. I mean, they were getting persecuted to the point where they wondered whether they'd survive, whether the whole business of Christianity would even get off the ground in the first century. But then they see the story of what God is doing and what he is going to do to bring Satan down. They've seen the sinful society in Babylon, the picture of that being brought down. They've seen the beast and the false prophet, the the representatives of Satan, the the emissaries which he uses uh, to do his evil work in the world, brought down. And now they're going to see the picture of Satan being dealt with and being brought down. It is very encouraging for them. And you know, it should be encouraging for you and I, just right now in the world in which we live, to realize that Satan and all his forces are in God's restraining hand and subject to His permissive will. He only does what Satan, what God permits Him to do. Now that should be a blessing for you and for me. You know, right now in our personal lives, because Satan does attack us. I, we were singing that there, hiding in Thee. I'm hiding in Thee, and I thought, well, I'm so glad of that to be able to say, I'm hiding in the Lord. Because Satan does attack. He deceives you. He does. He will destroy you if he could. But when you realize that God is overall, all, you, you realize things like you'll never be tempted or tried, in other words, or afflicted above what you're able to bear. Or Satan would have it above what you can able to bear because he wants to bring you down. But the Bible says it won't happen above, beyond, because, you see, there is God's restraining hand. And it's a great comfort as we see the work of the church, and you must admit we're a pardon me saying so, we're a pretty hopeless bunch. <laughs> you know your own weakness and failures, and you, you fear sometimes for the future of the work of the church. But then you realize that God is the Lord Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The hand of God will always stretch out to stop Satan just going that last bit. His restraining hand. He will only allow him to do what he will allow him to do. And Satan can only do what he's allowed to do. And it is great great encouragement for us all now and for the future. As you see the rising tide of evil, the fact is this, that Jesus will reign and Satan will be destroyed. Now, with that approach and that understanding, we approach Revelation chapter 20. Because Revelation chapter 20 is full of truth which is largely gets overlooked because it becomes a chapter of controversy where we argue about the thousand years. I'm not interested in that at this stage. I just want to focus on God's dealings with Satan. Right. Chapter 20. And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. Now there's your picture. Always through pictures, remember. Get the picture. There's an angel coming down from heaven he's got the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand straight away straight away heaven's in control see that he's coming down from heaven he's got a key if you've got a key you can open things you've got authority over every system with a key it opens it up his idea is authority even the key of the bottomless pit that's where the devil lives that's his home That's where he belongs, right? So he's in charge of even the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he lays hold of the dragon. You see, this angel knows exactly where the devil is and he knows exactly what is going on. And with heaven's authority and the right of control... He comes down and he lays hold of the dragon, and it says, the serpent, the devil, and Satan. Now there's no idea that there's a great fight and a struggle that lasts for any great period of time. It's as though he just comes down and he puts his hand on the devil's shoulder and said, You're coming with me. See, heaven's in control. He got it. God's restraining him. God is greater than Satan. He's in control of everything. That's the picture you're getting brought to you here. And notice it's not a great mighty angel with some tremendous sword. It's not even Michael the archangel. It's an angel, a messenger from God, heaven's messenger. Dealing, fulfilling, carrying out God's program for Satan himself. Notice the names, dragon, serpent, devil, Satan. And he is binding him. And for the thousand years, and he casts him into the bottomless pit. Shuts him up, as it were, under house arrest, because that's where he belongs. And then he sets a seal upon him. Why would you seal this man, this this, this creature, that he should deceive the nations no more? And I think here, I used to think it was a seal on the bottomless pit. It's not, it's a seal on Satan. And the use of a seal through the book of Revelation is to identify. You remember they were sealing the people of God. And, and you, no judgment could fall, God said, don't, don't, let the angels go on sealing my people, the servants of God, the 144,000. You remember that, you know, the, with the Lord's people, the, the Lord's servants, his name is on their forehead. You remember with those that were belonging to the devil, Satan, they had the seal, they had the number of his seal on them. The idea of a seal is to identify, to identify. We are sealed now with the Spirit, identifying the fact that we are God's property. We are the people of God. Now, what you've got here is that Satan is now identified clearly for who and what he is. And it's very difficult to go on deceiving when you've had your cover blown, if you like me to put it that way. Because that's some of the lessons that are coming out here. God is in control. He is going to deal with evil. He is going to deal with the source of evil. And what you've got here is a picture of that heaven in control. Satan is distinctly weakened here. Just an angel, no sense of struggle, and completely exposed. Now to understand the picture that we get, I want to look firstly at who Satan is. Secondly, I want to consider with you his history. We will trace his history ultimately from the Garden of Eden where he makes his first appearance right up to his final demise in Revelation chapter 20. It'll be a little bit of an aside before we necessarily move on in chapter 20, but we need to do this because we'll never really get the lesson of chapter 20 and the lesson of God's program for Satan or get the truth that he is always, God is always in control. So we trace his history and we'll show it clearly right through. God was ever in control. God is ever in control and God ever will be in control. Satan always constrained, restrained within the parameters and boundaries of the will of God. In other words, simply this: Satan only ever goes as far as God lets him. Now that make, that's a mystery in our, to us in many ways, because we just wonder how far God does let him. But God is there. This is the lesson of the Scriptures, and we need to grasp it in in our present day, our present world, and our present lives and our present situations. See, don't don't run off with the idea that uh, Satan's is a, a mighty sort of powerful. And Evil being running rampant, you know, quite out of control, doing whatever he wants, whenever he wants, destroying good, defying God, perpetrating evil, unleashing his hatred on the people of God, and that somehow there's this great battle going on with the devil doing this willy nilly, and God's over in the other corner, you know, as the power for good, trying to defeat him and trying to prevent him. That's not what it's all about. That's that's a misconception. That's often an idea that we've got. You see, God. And Satan are not two equal and opposing forces. Equal and opposite forces. They're not two equal and opposite forces. They are opposite, yes, but they're not equal. That's the first point. Not equal. Satan always under God's control. God in superiority. But he only moves, Satan only ever moves, to the extent that God allows him. You see, who is he? Who is Satan? Well, number one, he's a created being, right? Now, if he's a created being, if he was made, then he must have got a beginning. That means he's not eternal. That means he's not equal with God. Understand that. Not equal with God. He is an angel. That means he is more powerful than man. Now, we need to take that to heart at the moment. You know, we need to have a, I've said, a, a healthy respect for the devil. All right? He's more powerful than you. He's more powerful than me. He's brought many a man and woman to their knees. He's crushed them. He does deceive us as God's people even, and he will deceive us, and he wants to deceive us. He does tempt us. He does tempt us, and he will tempt us, and he wants to tempt us. And on our own, we are no match, no match at all, for the power of Satan. Only God can deal with Satan. On our own, as men and women, we cannot deal with Satan. And the unsaved, unregenerate, has no way in the world they can deal with Satan. They live a life of deception. They live a life of believing the lie. They live a life of sin and evil, thinking it's something great to do because they cannot but be deceived, for they cannot throw Satan's grip over them, off of them. But for the believer, we rest in that lovely truth. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And that lovely truth, you see, we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation's day. We can't keep ourselves in that sense it is God that's keeping us. I thought of those words to the uh, Roman believers at the end of chapter 16 of the book of Romans. There they are, you know, there's, <laughs> they're living there with Caesar in that terrible society and chapter 16, there that Paul writes those words, you know, the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Understand, God is going to do it. God does do it. God is doing it. Left to ourselves, we could never do it. And in that sense of the word... You know, you need to have a healthy regard. Don't don't get caught up in all this stupid talk about, oh, well, you know, I'm all right. I've got power. I've learned how to bind Satan, you know. And then you think, well, you'll just do what I say. Careful. He's sitting in the corner laughing at us. He's sitting at the corner laughing at us. And all we sing the songs about victory over the devil and we're going to be stamping on his head and rejoicing because he can't touch us. Just go careful, all right? Never rest in yourself. Always remember, hiding in Thee. Hiding in Thee. O oh, Thou blessed rock of ages, I'm hiding in Thee. Kept by the power of God through faith and to salvation. So, Satan number one, not equal with God. Created being, he's an angel. And indeed, I would seem to have been an angel of very, very high standing among the hierarchy of angels. I'm not going to go into those details because Scripture is not absolutely clear on a lot of these things. There are verses in the prophets in Isaiah and in Ezekiel which we can go to which seem to picture something more than earthly kings and their evil and seem to go past the boundaries of uh, what's mortal into something which is unseen and dark and eternal and that's all true but I'm not going to base what I say upon those things because they're not completely clear and there's so much argument about them. All right. So we say he's an angel. He is certainly a fallen angels. There are an angel. There's many other angels fallen like him. And he is the prince of that group of fallen angels, the prince of demons. Once he was an angel of very high standing in the service of God. Created being, yes. Greater than man, yes. Not equal to or in any way greater than God. A fallen angel the prince of the host of fallen angels, and he is the Christian's greatest enemy. He's the adversary, he's our foe. Because when you go and look at the names that Satan are used of Satan in the Bible, those names, like we've talked before, the name tells you something about the person. That's why you could study the names of the Lord Jesus and learn so much about him. The names of God and learn the glory of God because the name tells you something about the one who is named. Very well, you have the name Satan. And the the essence of the meaning of the word Satan is that he is an adversary. You get the picture? An adversary. He's always in the opposite corner and he's always against the child of God. He's always in the opposite corner and he's always against the purposes and work of God. He is always in the opposite corner and he's always against God himself. And remember, it's like the picture of the boxing ring and it helps you get it clear in your mind. You climb into the boxing ring, you know, and you, you line up in your corner and there's another fellow over there and he's in the other corner. What's he up to? He's only up to one thing, knock you out. There's one thing, that's all is in his mind. He wants you to put you out for the cancer, you don't get back on your feet again. That's your adversary. That's your opponent on the other corner. Now that's what Satan's like towards the child of God, towards the things of God, towards the Christ of God, and towards God himself. That's why he's called what he's called. Satan, which means adversary. Right? Devil, it's more the idea, the word meaning, the one who slanders. You know, the one who brings mud to stick. The one who pulls down what is good the one who the devil who is the accuser of the brethren right? he's the accuser of the people of God and he's that old serpent that's remember deception with a serpent the snake that slithers through the ground almost noiselessly you know grabbing onto the dust he's so low he can't think any lower and he can curl around every corner he can get through every crack he's there just to bite at your heels serpent deception the serpent deceived by his craft. Then he's called the dragon and you get the notion of that tremendous creature in Revelation 12 where his tail can sweep a third of the stars to the earth and the fire is pouring out of his mouth. And in the dragon there's that power for destruction. This is all about what the devil's all about. He's an adversary, he's a slanderer, he's a deceiver and he's a destroyer. Back earlier, I think it's in chapter 6, he's described as Apollyon. And the idea there is, again, that word in the Greek means destroyer. In the Hebrew, it means place of destruction, you see. He's the angel of the bottomless pit there. And Then you go on further through the scriptures, and he's called what? The prince of this world. He's called the god of this world. He's called the prince of the power of the air. He's called the ruler of this world. He is the one who seems to be over all the vileness of sin. It's concentrated in the society which Scripture calls the world. The Lord Jesus calls him the evil one. The apostle puts it as he's the wicked one. And it's very beautiful that in John 17, before the Lord Jesus left, he prayed for us all. He prayed for us all and he said that we might be kept from the evil. The word is evil. The evil one. Because in those words you're getting this, the, the notion that Satan is the originator. He's the instigator, the, the organizer of evil. He he's actually evil is actually concentrated in him. Evil comes out from him. He he never does anything else but evil. He's actually the evil one. Not the one who does evil, but the evil one. That's his very nature and essence and that is what he is. And understand, Satan is a a real person. He's a personality. He's a being. He's a creature. You remember the Lord Jesus spoke to him in the temptation quite plainly and addressed him. And I say that because don't run off with a common knowledge or many a time it's the knowledge that, that Satan is just some sort of Power, some sort of vague influence. And some would say that <clears throat> Satan and evil, is, they're, they're merely just a lack of, well, really a lack of good. Evil, right? And Satan, evil is not something missing. Evil is someone present. Get that? Not someone, something missing. Someone present. The evil. Evil one, and then just look at the work that he does, and you can you, you can start anywhere. First of all, he's a liar. The Lord says he's a father of them. You know, the idea being that every lie that's ever been told, if you like, ultimately originated from him, because that's how he started his evil work amongst mankind. He started it by perpetrating a lie. He's the roaring lion, the destructive one, who is the adversary, particularly of the people of God. And you see him originating lies, perpetrating lies. We see him bringing fear. We see him bringing destruction. We know his work against us regularly. There it is. And he opposes himself against all that is of God. That's what he does in his work. See, he wants to be worshipped as God. That's what he wants. He said that to the Lord Jesus. He said, you can have all the kingdoms of the world, You know, if you'll just bow down and you'll worship me. He wants man for himself. He wants the creature that was made to glorify God and to serve him and to love him, to actually turn from God and bow down to himself and Satan to become a God and to rule over the works of God's hands, the true creator God's hands. He loves darkness, he hates light, he rules in darkness. He lives in a bottomless pit, and there's no bulbs down there, if I could put it that way. Not a shred of light gets into the bottomless pit. He's the enemy of God's people. He's our adversary. He's the devil. He's capable of unimaginable depths of evil. Thyatira. Remember the church to Thyatira? It addresses them. Those of you who have not known the depths of Satan. That's why he has to live in a bottomless pit, if you like. Because he's capable of depths that are incomprehensible to us normal beings that alone to a Christian thinking. So, so wretched is his evil and his character. And he organizes the sinister forces of evil that are in the world. So therefore, look, be careful, be watchful. Understand the world in which we live. Understand the activities of Satan in the world in which we live. I mean, you only need to look at the confusion, you need to look at the chaos, you the violence, the destruction, the instability, the, the decay, the overthrow of authority, the breakdown of families, the mess up in marriages, and the unhappiness of people. I mean, if people have ever been as unhappy as they are today, they're so angry. Why are they so angry? They're unhappy, they're unfulfilled, they're lost. They're like ships without a rudder. You see, they are blinded. The God of this world has blinded the minds of those that believe not. Think of the massive mental health problems that are now confronting us in society. I've never seen so many psychologists in my life as have sprung up. Like weeds they've sprung up around town. What for? Because people have mental health problems. I tell you what, hiding in thee, only resting in the Lord can you ever have peace. For Satan is doing his work. Don't be ignorant of his devices. Don't get caught up in his methods. Right. Right. So you see now, getting the picture of who he is. Let's look at his history. Now you find him where do you find Satan first? In the scriptures, you actually find him in the Garden of Eden. That's where you find him. We've got no clear details of Satan prior to the Garden of Eden. We're not actually really clearly told. We have lots of imagination, by the way, (laughs) and lots of conjecture, but a clear picture we don't get. Now, if you're not told something, it usually means, one, we're not meant to know. Simple as that. Or, there's no benefit in knowing for us now. Or, it is something that we cannot really understand. So, when we look at Satan, we know at least he was there in the Garden of Eden. If he's an angel, he was made at the same time as the angels were made. Um, And if you're sure when the angels were created, you must tell me afterwards... (laughs) You've got lots of ideas, lots of conjectures, and lots of very reasonable, I was going to say, guesses. But just stay there, that's all we know. He was there, he was created, made when the angels were made. (coughs) At the same time, and we do know that much. Next question. When did Satan fall? After all, he wasn't created a fallen creature, a fallen angel. He wasn't created with sin in him. But he fell. He fell. Next question. Was Satan already fallen in the Garden of Eden? Lots of controversy about that. And the problem you've got in so many ways is you just read what the Scripture says. And look, it's best just to read what the Scripture says. It's always best just to believe what the Bible says. And it's always best to just wake up to the fact that when you're wrestling over a problem and you're just trying to find the answer, the Bible probably means just what it said. And what it didn't tell you, what it didn't tell me is because it's no benefit for us to know this side of heaven at least. So, was he fallen already before he approached Adam and Eve? <laughs> now think about this, because there's some unanswered questions when you come to uh, conclusions. Didn't God make everything? And on every day he made it, I think in the second day, God saw that it was good. And by the end of the sixth day, didn't it say, and God saw everything that he had made, that it was good. Then doesn't it say that God rested on the seventh day? Yes, it does. I, yet perhaps some of us sometimes we think that Satan, the source of evil, already fallen, was actually had access into paradise. And God knew he had access And he was not long before he was actually walking around in paradise and all the while God's resting. Is that likely to be or not? Just think about it. Because when God takes a Sabbath, he takes a Sabbath because there's no sin and no threat and no evil. The Lord Jesus answered that when they criticized him for not keeping the Sabbath. Do you know what he said to them? A mysterious answer if you just don't think about it. He says, oh no, come on, my father works hitherto and I work. There's work to do. There's sin about and to be dealt with. And I cannot rest while sin is there unsolved. So, we don't quite know the st- answers now to all our questions about was Satan already fallen in the Garden of Eden or wasn't he already fallen? Or, we, but we do know that it was in Eden that Satan certainly sinned. He certainly did. He certainly did. He brought a slur on the name and a slander on the name of God and he tempted man. He wanted to take for himself that creature that God had made who was in his own image and after his own likeness who showed the glory of God who lived for the pleasure of God. God delighted in the creature that he made that he would have companionship as it were fellowship with, communion with, response from. Satan said, I'll take that. I'll rob God of that, and what God has got from it, I will take for myself. And it was on that day, that day, that man fell when Satan came with the introduction of his lies. We might have already been given actually the history in the Bible of when Satan fell and he brought man down with him. I don't know the answer to those questions but there's a bit of possibility in it. I'm just going to stick with the Word of God. For God pronounces judgment on man when he fell, didn't he? And he pronounced judgment on Satan as well. We don't really know when he fell unless it was in Genesis 3. Now look at this. Have a think about what happened in the temptation and the fall of man. Because I want to say this straight up front. The fall of man and the access of Satan and the evil work that he did in that garden, even all of that was allowed of God. You say, well, why and how and why did it go that way? It doesn't, it doesn't make sense to us. But just remember, this is all part of the mystery of his will. The mystery of his will. God has revealed the fact that he did this and it was allowed to happen. You see, you've got man... Try to make this clear as I can. Man is made in the image and likeness of God. Now, it's quite different from all other animals and creatures, okay? Man is made in the image and likeness of God. As such, man is a creature who has a mind and has a will, has the ability to make decisions and the ability to act on those decisions. Get that clear? That's all part of the image and likeness of God. And the difference between us and the other animal creation. The other, the the animal creation. Man is able to respond to God. Now the other animals can't respond. They can react but they can't respond. The difference is this. You go home today and you go and get your dog and sit him there and do this and say, look over there! And the dog will sort of wag its tail and get all excited and react to you and Meanwhile, I'm pointing say, look over there, and he'd come up probably lick my finger if I got it down low enough, right? If I say to you, look over there, you don't look at me and wag your tail, pardon me. You, are, you look where I'm pointing, you get the idea. That is responding to me. Why? Because you're human and I'm human. Now, man is made with that capacity, capability of responding, not just reacting to God. And he has a mind and he has a will. He has the ability to respond to God, to enjoy God and to know God. He is capable of making choices. We make them every day. In the Garden of Eden, Adam is there without sin, capable of making choices. And he's got an absolute free will, if you want to use those phrase- those words. What do you mean absolute free will? There's nothing influencing him to do what's wrong. The trouble with you and I is as we want to do what's right and we decide to do what's right and we struggle sometimes to do what's right, Satan is there with a temptation. And it's a little bit like having a magnet and a bit of iron. You put the iron there and you stick the magnet there and the next thing is, you know, the longer it comes, it's going to slap on the magnet. Why? Because there's something in that iron that responds to that magnet. The difference is when Adam was in the garden, that response, shall I say... From our hearts to Satan's temptation is the fallen nature, our sinful nature. But you take a piece of aluminium and put it over there and put a a magnet here, there's no response because there's nothing in here that reacts to that there. Now that's Adam in the Garden of Eden. You get the picture? That's a perfect free will. A perfect free will. The ability, untrammeled, to make choices. Now, God has taken his creature... And he has put him in the garden, and he has put him straight away to a test. He said, look, you're here, now, you can eat whatever you like of the trees, but not of that tree over there. So, he is put there, told what to do, forbidden to eat, with the ability to make choices and a complete free will, and he can use that ability to make choices and decisions in order to do that which God asked him to do, untrammelled and uninterrupted. And all is well until the day that Satan comes. And I say again, Satan wants that creature man for himself. He wants that creature to serve him. And Adam's allegiance to God, his love, obedience, is already now being put under some sort of persuasion. Now please let's make it clear Adam was there untouched by what was in Satan and sin. And scripture makes it very clear as you follow through the New Testament that God is looking for men and women who will serve him, who will follow him, who will obey him because they love him. Men and women who will do it because they want to. Not because they have to. Why do you please the Lord? Is it because he stands behind you with a massive whip and when you look to the left the wrong way? Crack! No, but because there's something within here, which is the new nature, the regenerate nature, you want to do it because why? You love him for who he is and for all that he has done. And pardon me, Adam had every reason to love the Lord his God creator. He gave him the finest place to live. The perfect paradise that provided for absolutely everything that he could ever, ever need and gave him a beautiful wife. Yes, again, a fine woman of Scripture at that time. Right. He gave him everything. And he could respond. Adam put to the test. Adam makes a choice. And of his own free will, right, he rejects God, he doubts his word, he doubts his goodness, and he chooses what to do. Satan was there enticing him and wanting to persuade him. Yet there was nothing really in Adam that he could work on, except the the power of logic or argument or whatever it is that he was misusing. And Satan enticed him to do it, but Satan never made him do it. Do you understand that? He did that himself. That's why Adam's held responsible straight away and all who are in Adam are responsible to the consequences of what that man did on that day. With a perfect free will, with no sinful nature, drawing him towards sin, he chose to do wrong. And down came man. And I'm not going to say Satan came down with him at the same time. We can't really go into that, I'll be sure. But you've got a fallen angel, now you've got a fallen humanity. Now did God sort of God knew that Satan was there having this conversation with Eve? You know of course he did. the whole devil slandering God, the old serpent deceiving Eve and Adam clearly with a clear mind and clear judgment, made a clear decision to do absolutely wrong right? And what did they do after that blamed everybody? He blamed her and she blamed it, you know? But that's not the point. The point is that clear decision was made. Now God knew all that was going on, knew the conversation was going on. Did he suddenly step down with a thunder from heaven and say, hey there, you get out. Whoa, Eve, stop your stuff. You're getting into trouble here. No. Could he have done any of that? Yes. Did he do that? No. Why? Because he chose not to. The incredible truth out of what we're saying is this. The principle that God uses even Satan's actions for a far greater good. Can you believe that? Such is our God. Satan is always within the boundaries of his permissive will to the extent that he is even able to bring good out of the actions of evil. God does not originate evil, but he can use even the devil to work his plans and purposes the devil is still an angel, fallen though he is. He's a servant of God, rebellious though he is. These are amazing truths, but you will get to get the picture clearer in your mind as we move through it. You see, God, out of all of this that happened, what would he do? He, wants, he did three things. Listen, they're beautiful. He would bring in a man, Jesus Christ. We read about it this morning. He's the second man. He's the Lord from heaven. He's not of the earth and earthy but he's the second man the Lord from heaven. He's the last Adam. Do you know what it says about the Lord Jesus? He was the one who would do all of his will. He would do it by choice of his own free untarnished unblemished sinful nature the will that's found in that God nature. And Adam, who used his will to do that which was rebellious against God and respond to Satan and bow to serve Satan instead of God, uh, here in the second man, the last Adam, the whole thing would be lifted to a, a higher level of beauty and sheer magnificence. For the Lord Jesus coming into the world would say, coming into the world, it says, coming into the world right at the beginning, I delight To do thy will, O my God. The first Adam couldn't say that. Because the first Adam never did that. And he hid his law, God's law, within his heart. And you trace the life of the Lord Jesus, and we will do this, and you'll see the battle with Satan all the way through. The temptations are the classic, outstanding example of it. And you find that even just before the end of his life, He could say, the prince of this world comes and he finds nothing in me. He's gained no advantage over me whatsoever. And on the night of his betrayal, as he was there with the disciples talking about it, and as Judas, into whose heart Satan had entered, was coming to take the Lord Jesus, and the kingdom of darkness and its ruler were going to do what they thought they were going to do, the Lord Jesus sits there and he says... As the Father has given me commandment, even so I do. And that the world may know that I love the Father. I love him, therefore I will do what he's given me to do. Arise, let us go hence. And he just rose up and he went to meet them. And he never ran. They never had to search. For everything is in the restraining, controlling hand of God. And the second man, the Lord from heaven, yes. The Father has given me commandment, even in his death, even so I do. He's given me commandment to lay down my life and to take it again. And everything has been brought to a higher level of glory in the coming into the world of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God used that fall to display the riches of his grace. Everything the first Adam did not do, the second Adam has done and done more. And from that man, the Lord Jesus Christ, there would spring a whole race of mankind who would want to do God's will, who would choose to do God's will, who would have the power to do God's will and they would do it because they loved him. A fellow believer, every one of us this morning should resonate with that and identify ourselves as one of God's children with that nature within us whereby we want to and we choose to and we have power to. And we do it purely and simply because we love him. This is far greater than being an Adam in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eden knew innocence, but man in Christ knows holiness. And the estate of the first Adam has been lifted far, far higher in the last Adam and in the race that he has brought in, the people of God, from innocence to holiness. And God himself, through the fall, through what would seem the tragedy of the fall, through what would seem to be the victory of Satan, God would move and reveal himself more fully. Yea, he would reveal himself in absolute perfection in Christ. And show that he is the God who is love. You met Adam before he fell and said, tell me about this God of yours. He said, oh, he's a tremendous, tremendous, he said. Number one, look at his power. Look at his ability in creation. Look at his wisdom. Look at his design. Yes, you say, now tell me something more about him. He said, well, he's provided me with all this and it's really a wonderful and a good thing. But you know, he can only go so far. But now we who were lost in Adam and have been redeemed in Christ, we stand and we say with absolute certainty in the fullness of the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ that God is love. For, for God to be fully revealed as a God of love, it required the cross and the fall of man And the presence of sin, for its solution, required the cross. And inscribed upon the cross we see in shining letters, God is love. So what do we have? We have God using that for something far more grand to work out his purposes in blessing for mankind and in the fullness of the revelation of himself. Adam may know him as creator, the people of God know him as redeemer, and we say, along with the prophet of old, thy creator is thy redeemer, O Israel. So now you're getting the first lesson. Are you seeing that Satan's actions are made to serve God's purposes? Are you seeing that God has got his hand on everything, even on the greatest calamity you could ever dream of, has ever happened in the history of the creation of the world, in the fall of man? Can you see that God is glorified in all of this? You see, Satan, his servant, a rebellious one, and yet, yet used by God. There's a lot more to be said about this. As we trace the fall to the coming of Christ, and from the coming of Christ to the ascension, From the ascension to the return of the Lord Jesus and Satan's final fall, we we'll start to understand how God has worked to put his hand on Satan. In the very beginning, a restraining hand, a judgmental hand, a containing hand. Finally... In his mighty power in Christ, he moves into the very domain of the devil himself. Into the world in which the devil lives and works. Into the society which he has manufactured and maintained and sustained. And like the strong man, he invades the strong man's house. And he's stronger than him. And he's going to get his goods and he's going to plunder them. And he's going to set men free. Glory to God in the highest. No wonder when he came into the world. The angels couldn't contain themselves as they burst from the skies. And those shepherds watching their flocks by night heard the glorious anthem of the skies. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and God's good pleasure at last will be found in a man. And that's the coming into the world of the Lord Jesus Christ. May he glorify his name in our eyes this morning and we give him thanks together. Let's pray. Father, these are blessed truths. These are truths which beyond us truths which we would never have conceived of or understood had they not been revealed to us in thy precious holy holy word we pray that we may meditate on these things and we may glorify the God of heaven we thought of Mary sitting at your feet listening to the word and Lord we long that if we have the week before us we may just be able in a better way to sit and to listen and to ponder and then finally to bow in worship and to give thanks to the God of our salvation. Lord, we bless thy holy name and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be our blessed portion in whatever days lie ahead